Our Old Testament lesson comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 25, we're going to um, revisit a little bit in reading uh, John, um, <laughs> John Frank's sermon uh, from last week. I almost said John Fender, that's why I laughed. Uh, and we're going to look at God's promises uh, given to David and how he fulfills it in chapter 8. Look first, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 25. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken, and your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessings, blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them, and David took Methelech Amah out of the hand of the Philistines. And he defeated Moab, and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to put to death, and one full line to be spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rahab, king of Zobah. And they went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 uh, uh, horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came up to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And God took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Betha and from Berothai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took very much bronze. When Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defended, defeated the whole army of Hadadezer, Toy sent his son Joram uh, to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him, for Hadadezer had often been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued, from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philist Philistines, Amal Amalek, 
and from the spoil of Hadadezer, son of Rahab, king of Zobah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. And Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests. And Sariah was secretary. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were priests. This is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your word. Thank you for being a God who communicates. Thank you for trusting us with your word. Now we pray that as David prayed, you would open our eyes and allow us to see wonderful truth in your law. Father, we pray that this would be more than information. But through your spirit, you may form us into men and women of God whose trust in God is so sure that the way that we live our lives would demonstrate we have confidence that we serve a God who keeps his promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The theme of the service is God keeps his promises. When we think of promise, because we live in a world where promise is used rather frequently, we may be tempted to define God's ability to keep a promise based on our experience on how people have kept promises. For example, this is our election season. When you hear election campaigns and promises given What usually comes to mind? What about promise from a friend or a loved one? What about a promise from a service person, a mechanic? What about a promise from an employer? Even the best promises pale in significance as compared to God's ability to keep a promise. See, God's promises are not kept because of circumstances. God's promises are not not changed due to events around the world, the passage of time. God's promises are, are melded to his character. They are a part of who he is. One of my favorite things to do is to look at the names of God in the Old Testament. And, uh, and in the New Testament. And those names of God describe God's character. And as I share with you a couple of names from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament, I want you to hear this as a, a guarantee that because of the character of God, the promises that he makes are sure. 
The first one comes from Genesis chapter 16. You'll remember this story. Uh, God made a promise to Abraham and to, to Abram at this point and to Sarah uh, that they would have a child. Sarah was uh, a little nervous that uh, she was old and so she wasn't sure that she was going to have a child at her age. So she asked her handmaiden, Hagar, to bear a child in, for her. And Hagar bore Ishmael. And Ishmael was born and after he was born, the Lord, of course, kept his promise to Sarah and she had a child, um, Isaac. And after Isaac was born, Sarah kicked Hagar out. And she was homeless. She was in the wilderness. And it's within this experience that Hagar was confronted by a God who sees. And listen to what Hagar said. She said in Genesis 16:13, you are a God of seeing. First he said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. I want you to remember that. Because the God who sees still looks after his people. And one of the ways he looks after his people is that he keeps his promises. His word is sure. Another example, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, uh, God commissioned uh, Joshua to follow Moses in leadership. And after God commissioned Joshua, Moses said this about God. He said this in Deuteronomy 32.4. He said, uh, he called God the rock. And he said, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. He called God a rock. A rock is a source of strength. A rock endures throughout all generations. I want you to know that our God, who is the rock, the enduring one, the one on whom we can rely, keeps his promises. And then one more. In Matthew, um, the angel appearing before Joseph in the dream said this about God. He said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The God who is with us will always keep his promises. And I like uh, Emmanuel. Uh, I like the uh, meaning of that because it doesn't merely say God was with us, but God is with us. That the God of David, who kept his promise, is the God who keeps his promise today. Now, why talk about promise? Well, did you notice the transition between uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and 2 Samuel chapter 8? Chapter 8 seemed out of place, didn't it? All they talked about was war. War and hamstringing horses. What does that have to do with God's promise? I'm glad you asked. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made three promises to David. And those three promises we see God fulfilling in chapter 8. So chapter 8 is a description of the God who keeps his promise to David. 
Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us not only to look back to God's faithfulness to David, I want us to look forward to his faithfulness in our time. In biblical prophecy, there is often a near fulfillment in the time of the writer and a far fulfillment. In the ti- and, and in this case, the far fulfillment is Jesus Christ, the one who sat on the throne of David, the one whose kingdom has no end. And so as we look at, God, at what God did in David's life in chapter 8, let's also celebrate what God is doing in Christ, whose benefit we have today. So let's look first at the first promise. The first promise is to eradicate enemies. God told David that he would give him rest from his enemies. Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 8, uh, the first 14 verses, there is a rapid-fire discourse of what one scholar calls the Yahweh-saved formula, that God, through uh, David, over and over defeated his uh, enemies. Uh, seven times the word defeated is used in this passage, in verses 1, 2, 3, 9, and 10. And two times the word uh, struck and striking was used in verses 5 and 13. These are the same Hebrew words that means that God defeated the enemies. And as you look at the campaigns, you see that the Philistines, one of the primary enemies of Israel, were defeated. Moab had a desert of Zorba. I'm going to stop there for a second. Had a desert of Zorba, um, was a formidable enemy. Uh, he, he not only was an enemy of Israel, but he was an enemy of the surrounding nations. That's why in our text, Toy sent an ambassador to David and congratulated him because of his defeat of Hadadezer. And that's why his name is mentioned over and over in this text, because God wants to underscore the fact that God is able to defeat even the most significant foe. The Philistines, uh, Hadadezer, Absorba, Aram, and Damascus, and Edom, all of these were defeated. And uh, the Bible says that David's rule extended from the far north, speaking of Hadda Desert, and the deep south, Edom. I like that. Often in biblical uh, narrative, when the biblical writer uses words like north and south, what he's saying is it's a complete promise. It's a promise of God's complete deliverance. Instead of listing every enemy, it's giving this overarching summary that God's promise is true. It's the same thing that Isaiah does in Isaiah uh, 43. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 43. He uses this type of language. He said this, verses 5 and 6, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring, this is God speaking, assuring uh, his um, presence with Israel. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold 
Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. As surely as God gathers his people to himself, the writer in Samuel says that God provided rest for David, for all his enemies. You may have noticed when I read the text, two times there was a phrase, um, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Um, that phrase is used in Psalm 60. In Psalm 60, David writes that psalm, celebrating the events of what happened, especially in the Valley of Salt. Uh, and, and he summarized it by this, and I'm going to use my own words for this. He said at the end, the Lord fights for us. The Lord fights for us. And you can underscore that in, first, in 2 Samuel chapter 8, because that's the message here. The campaign was won because the Lord fought for them. Now that was near. Let's look at far. Does the Lord fight for us? Does he keep his promise to us? The writer to the book of Hebrews celebrates the fact that Christ's sacrifice was better than the Old Testament sacrificial system. Listen to this. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered once for all time a single sacrifice for sins, listen, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Two things there. Christ's sacrifice was so complete that he gave his life once so that all of our sin debt, all of us who believe in the atoning work of Jesus Christ, our sin debt is taken away. And he, he didn't have to do that three times or four times. He did it once. God keeps his promises. But there's more. The Bible says that he did it until uh, all his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. What is our enemy? What is the worst enemy that we have? The Apostle Paul tells us that the last enemy was death. Look, listen to what he said in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The worst thing that the evil one can do to us is, is uh, threaten our lives. Uh, uh, death is a horrible separation. But even in death, death has no sting. Death has no victory. And especially at Christian funerals, when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and because he lives, we will live. And we say in the time of death, that the person who has departed from this life to the next, we usually say something like this, they are more alive today than they have ever been because they are in the presence of God. That is a real hope because Jesus has defeated our worst enemy. There was a second promise that God made to 
uh, David. And that pr promise was that he would give him a significant standing. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised that he would make for David a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And as you read 2 Samuel chapter 8, you'll notice that David's name is used over and over again. In fact, his name is recorded in almost every verse, except on verses 12, 16, and 17. That's done on purpose, because God was increasing his reputation. He was a man of standing. And the reason David was a man of standing was because God said to David, I will make your name great. And chapter 8 tells us that. Chapter 8 also tells us that David's name was made great because he was a man who honored God's law. In Deuteronomy, uh, the uh, king was supposed to uh, accumulate large amounts of silver and gold and dedicate that to the work of the Lord. And notice uh, when I read David, David took uh, the spoil from the enemies and he dedicated that uh, to the name of the Lord. He was a man whose heart was after God. He was a man who not only was uh, strong militarily, but also in his faith and in his righteousness and service to God. Uh, he was a man of renown. I think this demonstrates God's ability to take a shepherd boy and make him a king. And not only a king, but establish his throne significantly in David's life, but also to extend it into the future. That's near. That was in the life of David. Let's look far. How did God keep his promise in the future? Whether John, the Apostle John, in uh, Revelation chapter 5, uh, wrote something that last Sunday night we sang a song, Is He Worthy? That's the name of the title. Is He Worthy? That's a magnificent song. But that song was based on uh, events found in uh, Revelation chapter 5. Listen to what John wrote. He wrote this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Now, if you read Revelation chapter 5, there's a drama that plays out in that chapter. And here's the drama. Uh, there's a question that's asked. Who can open the scroll? And nobody on earth could do it. And there's a silent dread, as it were. Where's our hope? Who's going to save us? And then it says, the lion and the lamb, the lamb of God, he is worthy to open the scrolls. He is worthy. And that's why that song rang out. It rang out with joy because God was worthy to redeem and to claim us. 
and to rename us, not a people who were foreigners from him, but a kingdom and priests. And that's why in Revelation chapter 5, this is a psalm worthy. It's a lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Uh, because God, his name is established, and his name is significant, and he is worthy of our worship. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God kept his promise to David, and he kept his promise to the one who is the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, and gave him a name that is above every name. Lastly, God said to David, I'm going to give you a kingdom. Uh, I'm going to establish your house. It's a wonderful way that David, you remember, David said to God, I want to build you a house. And God says, I don't want you to build me a house. This is my paraphrase. I'm going to build you a house. And your house will be an everlasting house. I'm going to establish your kingdom. Um, he promises that in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He says, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The beginning of that promise was fulfilled uh, in, in David's reign. Starting with verse 15. Uh, David's uh, reign was uh, celebrated. Look again at verse 15. If you have your Bible still open, 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 15. Uh, just that verse. David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all of his people. Uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 3, says that the Lord loves righteousness and, and justice. David ruled in that way. David's rule was defined by righteousness and justice. It proclaimed the character of God. And he set up his kingdom. He had a general, Joab. He had an historian, Jehoshaphat. He had priests, Zadok and Ahimelech. He had chief officials, his sons. David established a kingdom that God began in David's time, but then was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Well, listen to Luke chapter 1. This is afar. Luke chapter 1, verse 32. This is when Gabriel came to Mary and told her not to be afraid um, the son that she was going to have was uh, and verse 32 says, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him, listen, the throne of his father David. There it is. That the promised Messiah, the promised King, who would sit on David's throne, was the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God kept his promise to David, and God keeps his promise to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the macro view, the large view, that God's kingdom is established and sure under the Lord Christ. But let's take it personally, because Paul takes a different view. And he tells us about God's kingdom and how it relates to us personally. Listen to um, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I, I don't know if you've ever been in this place when nobody else is here, but it can be a little scary. Understand, I'm not telling you I'm afraid, but it can be a little scary. At night, it's really scary. And it's as if Paul's saying, this is what God does. He takes you from the place of darkness, from the place where there is fear and dread, and he meets you there, and he turns on the light, and he transfers you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now that does two things. Number one, not only do we get forgiveness, not only are our sins forgiven, we're transferred into the kingdom of the son he loves. The love of God that's poured on his son is poured on us. No wonder there's praise in heaven. No wonder those students, when they sang, Who am I, Lord? Send me, in celebration of Isaiah chapter 6, can sing it with such passion. Because the God who transferred us from darkness allows us right now to be in the kingdom of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Does God keep his promises? He kept to David. 2 Samuel chapter 8 is more than just a list of war. It's a confirmation that God keeps his promises. And he kept every one to David. But we don't merely have to look back and say that God was faithful only. We can say that God is faithful because he keeps his promise through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can say what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 120, all the promises of God are yes and amen. All the promises of God. Are God's promises like any of our promise, promises? No. God is nothing like us. His promises are sure. His promises will stand. His promises give us a hope, a future, and a belonging. That's why we're going to, as we close, we're going to sing a song that was translated by Elizabeth Smith. The song is, I greet thee who my sure 
Redeemer Ark. We're going to celebrate by saying this. The last stanza we sing, we're going to say, Our hope is in no other save in thee. Our faith is built upon thy promise free. Oh, grant us such stronger hope and sure that we can boldly conquer and endure. You know what that verse celebrates? Because of God's promise, when it gets tough, we can endure because God is faithful. When it looks like we're losing, God's kingdom will not fail. And we know that because God is faithful. God is a God who keeps his promises. Shall we pray? We thank you, O God, for establishing an eternal kingdom whose king is Jesus Christ. Thank you for making us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing hymn number 168, verses 1, 2, 3, and 5.